Katie. Hey, Ben. Uh, so today we're talking about Fourier transforms, which are one of my favorite things in mathematics because uh, they relate to music and audio. They do, yeah. But not only audio and music. Fourier transforms are really useful in a lot of different contexts. So, uh, yeah, I guess we'll dive in. You are listening to Linear Digressions. Yeah, so I think a good place to start here, actually, before we get into a Fourier transform itself, is just talking about different ways to represent data, because at the heart of it, a Fourier transform is just a different representation of time series data, typically. But the whole idea that there's different ways that you can represent data is sometimes a thing that you need to wrap your head around a little bit, so it seems Mm. like a useful place to start. Here's a little bit of an analogy if you're thinking about image data, which I think is as good a place as any to start. Uh, So very often we'll say that there's a representation or maybe a basis for data. So in the case of a picture, I'm going to describe three different ways that you can encode an image so that you can see how these are all sort of different but related. So let's say you have a picture and you need to encode that information some way. You need to have a representation of what is the image that you're looking at. So the first is that you could imagine that, let's say it's just a black-white image. So for every point in space, there's either it's either black or it's white. Mm-hmm. So one thing you could do is you could say all of the, ima- all of the pixels by default are white. Uh, and then wherever there's a pixel that's black, I'm going to give you the XY coordinates of that pixel. And so what you would get is a list of all of the pixel numbers that are black implicitly, right? Yeah, there'd be a very short list if you have a very light image, but a very long list if you have a dark image. Sure. Uh, A second way you can do that is you can say, uh, I'm going to tell you for every single pixel in this image what, whether it's white or black. So I'm not going to make an assumption that they're all white except for the black ones or vice versa. Mm. This is kind of the way that I usually think of image data as being represented as we say it's like a 20 by 20 image. And then for each one of those pixels, we have a zero or a one. So then that's a very, it's a higher dimensionality in general, but uh, it's going to be the same dimensionality for every picture in your data set. This is probably the representation that people are most familiar with uh, when they're thinking about image data. But there's other ways that we could represent the same data set as well. So imagine now we're not in the pixel regime exactly, but we still have the same picture. I mean, one thing we can do is imagine just placing a dot at the xy coordinate of everywhere that we need to have something be black. So this isn't mapped onto a pixel exactly anymore. It's just like a free floating xy space. Imagine Mm. you had, instead of a digital image, you had... Like one of those newspaper images that's comprised of just dots. Those dots don't necessarily, especially back in the olden days, those dots weren't necessarily in a grid. Yeah, yeah. So it says... I'm not going to tell you that there has to be a specific pixel there already for you to put a dot. Just put a dot wherever I tell you to put a dot. And then you have a bunch of XY coordinates of where those dots go. And then taken together, each of those coordinates can be recomposed into the picture. So that's another representation of the same image. And then just for funsies to keep going, you can imagine the same story uh, around there's for each point in space where we want to have a dot you know, specify that point in space. But now instead of it being the X and Y coordinates, uh, we could just as easily have picked polar coordinates, which is R and theta. So we're now representing instead of it being this Cartesian 
the up-down direction and the side-to-side direction, it's a radial basis. And mm-hmm. so we're saying, how far is this point from the origin? And how what's the angle that it takes from uh, kind of like the zero degree line, where there are some conventions about where the zero degree line is. Um, so it's exactly the same information that you can represent in R and theta as you can in X and Y, but it's just a completely different way of representing it. So like you're, you're, you're talking about the same image uh, with all of these examples, but you are, you're able to represent this image in all of these different ways. Yeah, that's right. And that in general, there's usually conventions for how you can convert from one dimension to another. So I spent a lot of time when I was doing uh, you know, physics homework for many years, uh, converting back and forth from R theta basis to XY basis. And there's a pretty standard set of transformations back and forth. Um, or thinking about a problem, it's very common that you, you start out with it in one basis. Um, and then you get a little bit of a ways in and you see that actually there's another basis that is a much nicer way of representing the data. So, f- or of representing the problem that you're dealing with. So for example, if you have a problem that's about how the earth is revolving around the sun, that's going to lend itself much more nicely to R theta coordinates than to X, Y mm. as a simple example. <laughs> right. And and just to define terms, when you say the word basis, that's B-A-S-I-S. And yeah. that refers to uh, like different basis would be Cartesian versus polar versus uh, the other examples that you gave, uh, those are bases. Or rather, they're different bases. Yeah, so those are examples of what I would think of as a basis coordinate system, so to speak. So Mm -hmm. how are we representing a set of static data of a particular format? But Mm -hmm. the place where I'm going to turn this now a little bit more towards Fourier transforms. So it might not just be that we're trying to represent a set of pixels with different ways of saying, you know, where in space is this dot? But instead, what we're trying to do is we're trying to represent a function. And so then there are different basis functions that we can deal with. So if you have a background in physics, for example, different basis functions might be things like Bessel functions, or uh, Chebyshev polynomials, Laguerre polynomials. There are a bunch of these, we don't have to get into them. But the general idea is that you have potentially a function, I'm thinking of uh, like a time series function that you might see. So you have some like periodic pattern in in time and you want to represent that, that there are different ways that you can represent that function. And so that's what a Fourier transform is, is is two different ways that you can think of representing a time series function. Uh, So in the simplest case, a time series function, a good example of this might be a sine function, right? And actually, um, can I take this opportunity to digress briefly into the world of audio? Because a sine function, uh, you could imagine a sine wave, which is just a, a, a frequency like boo, and then perhaps you could have another sine frequency that's boo. And if you put those together, you end up with these two sine waves that are over overlaid on top of each other in your graph. And you can actually add them together and you get this kind of crazy looking uh, wiggly single line. Uh, but the trick is that by looking at that single line, it's actually difficult to tell what frequencies might be contributing to it. 
Yeah, so that's right. That's exactly where I'm going, is that there's the crazy line representation of this function, or the thing that the Fourier transform does is it takes that sine wave and it breaks it apart into component sine waves that you could then combine. So that was a little bit the reverse process of what you just did with the two mm. tones that you that you made separately and then put together. Uh, and so what a Fourier transform does is it says that there is a frequency that's associated with, say, the first tone that you made. And there's a frequency that's associated with the second tone that you made. And so after you take that you know, complicated sine wave superposition and you Fourier transform it. This is just a mathematical process whereby you take that complicated function and you multiply it by, or you take some integrals where you multiply it by some exponential functions. And after you do that integral, what it's going to give you back is basically the frequency that's associated with each of those dominant harmonics in the underlying series. So what it should give you back is a frequency that's associated with the low tone and a frequency that's associated with the high tone. It says the low tone is this number of hertz and the high tone is that number of hertz. And moreover, here's the relative power that's associated with each of them because potentially there can be lots of different frequencies that are layered on top of each other. And so you want to have some idea of how they're related to each other in terms of which ones are the most important ones and are there any offsets between them and that kind of thing. And so that's what the Fourier transform does is it's a mathematical process. You put in this complicated sine wave and what it gives you back is here are all the ingredients that went into making that time series representation. doesn't even have to be a sine wave, but the thing about sine waves is any arbitrary time, time series function can be represented completely in sine waves and cosines. So, you know, that's kind of nice. Here's all the ingredients that it took to make that complicated time series representation. And that might be, in many cases, a better basis for analyzing that data than the original time series data itself. So I want to give a couple of examples in the audio world because I think it might help to illustrate that relationship and also the kinds of things that you might be able to do. One application of this that uh, comes to mind is a guitar tuner. Uh, so if you pluck a string on a guitar, you're going to get a sine-ish wave. It's, it's basically going to be a sine wave with some overtones, which just means some higher sine waves that are a lot quieter. Uh, and so if you have some tuning software on your computer, what it could do is take that, uh, that time series, basically that data over time, do some sort of a Fourier transform on it to figure out what the frequencies are or what those sine waves that make up the sound are, and then just look at the loudest one. And that loudest one is going to be representing whatever uh, pitch that we as humans are hearing the guitar make. And then you can compare that, uh, that frequency against the known frequencies of what's in tune and what's out of tune to figure out, oh, is your guitar going flat or is it going sharp? Which way do you want to tune the knob uh, or, or turn the knob to get your guitar to be, um, to be in tune? So that's, uh, that's one application. Another application is in audio production. If you imagine you can take any arbitrarily complex uh, audio feed uh, or, or time series, and you can split it apart into all of the different frequencies that are making up that, if you could manage to go that way, 
and then do something to that data and then actually do an inverse Fourier transform, you might be able to do crazy things. And some of those crazy things might be removing certain frequencies. Like you could take that boo and that boo example and uh, smoosh those audio files together. And then you could create something that removes that second note or that first note and leaves the other one intact which when you're looking at that single squiggly line, which should represent uh, all of the audio, it seems kind of impossible to do. But by doing a Fourier transform on it, operating and then going the other way around to get your original um, modified audio file, you can do some pretty crazy things. And um, and the last thing that you can do, uh, I'm sure that things like Auto-Tune use uh, uh, the Fourier transform and uh, some operators that probably go along with it to take your slightly out of tune uh, sung note and make it a perfectly in tune note. Yeah. So in general, I think the Fourier transform is maybe something that you would think about in certain contexts for machine learning or data science on time series data. But in general, as you can probably tell, this is a little bit more from the realm of signal processing than machine learning proper. Really? I guess the the point I'm making is uh, oh, yeah. there is this relationship, and then if you imagine that, it, like if you generalize that relationship from an audio signal to the frequencies, uh, and actually you could even do Fourier transforms not limited to functions of time. Uh, typically, people talk about Fourier transforms as it pertains to uh, a time series, but you could you could operate on data that's not specifically over time as well. Cool. Yeah. So I think it's the Fourier transform is just in general, a really, really handy tool for all kinds of stuff that it just makes certain types of manipulations way easier and frankly possible uh, relative to what they would be if you had to work with the original representation, uh, which is just a useful thing to keep in mind. This is another way of saying a thing that we all know when we're, working with data for machine learning and for data science, that sometimes you have to think about the feature representation of your data. Uh, a Fourier transform is just a kind of nifty and particular version of that same idea. I will say one more thing, which is that uh, I did open up Wikipedia <laughs> to look up Fourier transform just to make sure I, I uh, understood everything because it's been a little while since I did audio work. And um, this is a ridiculously long article uh, even just the table of contents is extremely long. And um, just by skimming that, you can see all of the different applications of Fourier transforms. Obviously, not at all limited to audio, uh, but but you, you see it all over the place. And so, yeah, like you said, it's a, it's a really good uh, tool in your tool belt, and you can do a lot of really varied things with it. Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.